Hi, this is Mike Farkas reading from my book, Phone Slaves. Welcome to episode 14 of season 2, which picks up with Mook and Swami standing outside of the sweaty melon, and is entitled, Whining Transmissions. A few streets over from the choral whining of one such sacrificial transmission burning can be heard the shouting familiar voice of Steve pleading an opera entitled Don't Rev So Hard, Mama. Hoofing the four blocks over through the relentless snow, past Jimmy's music, past the fishmonger's bus shelter, which is completely filled with and entirely obscured by snow, save for the shape of a crested dune marking it, past bank after bank of toboggan-worthy snow, until arriving at the top of Old Orchard, below Sherbrooke, where the scene of Steve trying to push his mother's champagne Corolla S forward through the alley passage, tires smoking, transmission begging for mercy, Wah! comes into view. Wah! Steve, they shout. His adrenaline up in his ears renders him oblivious. Put it in first gear. Just barely touch the gas pedal. Don't rev so hard, ma. You see? I told you we need winter tires, you lazy. Now we have to spend money on a tow truck. Ma, stop. Steve, you deaf bastard, shouts Mook. Startled but realizing his luck, Steve deadpans the pair. What the hell took you so long? Acting as if he was expecting them to arrive ten minutes ago, his thick bifocals completely fogged by the heat of his efforts like two ice cubes. Help me out here, boys, would ya? Mrs. Lauder remains silent. Swami and Mook place themselves behind Mrs. Lauder's Corolla S, each taking a corner of the back bumper, Steve in the middle, three of them leaning forward and ready to push. Steve calls out the instruction to his mother. Now gently give a little gas. Mook notices the reverse lights are on, but too late. She's in reverse, cries Mook. Mrs. Lauder obediently touches the gas. Swami and Mook both manage to jump out of the way, but Steve is violently knocked over by the rear bumper. Fortunately, there is a lot of snow to break his fall, or he might have cracked his skull. Mook runs to the driver's door of the car. Mrs. Lauder, I need you to put the car in drive and just barely touch the gas. Mrs. Lauder follows the instruction, and the Corolla rolls forward, revealing a furious Steve. Swami hands Steve his glasses, which went flying upon impact. Now put it in park, says Mook. Mrs. Lauder obliges. Now get out of the car, please, Mrs. Lauder. Mrs. Lauder gets out of the car. She is wearing a black mink coat and hat. Mook gets into the driver's seat and attempts to inch the car forward, but it's completely stuck. He puts it in park and hops out. I told him I needed winter tires, but did he listen? repeats Mrs. Lauder. Steve, still flat on his back, is at the top of his lungs, livid with his mother. Are you trying to kill me? Screaming and flailing his arms like a furious fallen snow angel. You said give it gas. 
Swami and Mook help Steve, who is still winded from the blow, stand and steady himself. His pacemaker bulging through his shirt, he gathers himself, brushing snow from his jeans and black pea coat indignantly. Get in the car, Steve, says Mook. Put it in first gear and barely touch the gas. I know that, yells Steve, frustrated with Mook's clear delight at the situation. I'll tell you when to push. Getting himself in the car. On three. Positions, gentlemen. One, two, push. Gently, at first, inch by inch, they get the Corolla rocking just enough that they can feel an inkling of forward traction. A desire for traction is at least a start like the pulse before the heart. The car is pretty badly entrenched in the aftermath of Mrs. Lauder's mink-hatted lead foot. Like meridional medicine, coursing through an acupuncturist's path, the conviction for traction takes on an energetic direction. Okay, maestro, Mook calls out. On three, give it a touch more gas. One, two... Three! Steve follows the instruction perfectly, the veins appearing on Swami's forehead. Mook squats, and they push like it's the last shit they'll ever take. Again! One! Two! Push! One! Two! Push! On this third attempt, the Corolla catches enough momentum to move past the compressed lip of Ice Trench, allowing its passage through the remainder of the alley. Not daring to stop for fear of becoming entrenched again, Steve seamlessly taxis into the garage without further incident, his head remerging from the garage to request Mook and Swami enter and wait a few minutes. He wants to give them something. You don't have to give us anything, Steve. I command you as Lord of Salad to remain here until I return. No one refuses the Lord of Salad, says Swami. The pair agree to wait inside the relative calm of the garage, away from the Himalayan style perfect for a plane crash weather, their hearts still pumping from the effort of their unexpected workout. Nice garage, notices Mook. Heroic act, says Swami. Definitely worth a few experience points. Steve's mom ran him over. Despite attempts to stifle their giggling, the pair can't help chortling about it. She did! Incredible! Absolutely. Winter is for caribou. Even bears sleep through this shit. Steve returns with a small foil-wrapped gift for each of them. Thanks be unto you, O Lord of Salad, says Mook. Correct. What kind of salad, asks Swami. Purple dream with Moroccan tusk. Sounds museum worthy, says Mook. Ugh, grimaces Steve. I think I bruised a rib. A small price to pay for such entertainment. Lucky for you, a foot more and we'd have been entertained straight to the hospital. Mook changes his voice to announcer. 
NDG woman in custody after attempting to use her son as traction. Film at 11. All right, scram, boys. This old man needs a hot bath and three Advil. Thanking Steve for their parting gifts, they make their way back up to Sherbrooke. The ancient Snow's beard has grown. Like a wise man fallen off the wagon whose beard has fallen off the beard wagon. Old man Winter's beard grows by the minute. Sherbrooke Street has changed again in the twenty minutes since the two plunged into Steve's alley. Snow climbs the highest perches to perform elaborate vortexes which twist and salt, leaving exquisite Tim Burton-esque swirlies in their wake. Crests adorn every spot a gust might enjoy a whistle of passage. The entire city has become an enormous flute of snow music through which its inhabitants ebb and flow. The moon away up in space is a ball of ice. The ocean blows through the sky. Each street lamp a da Vinci-esque finger of proof pointing to the frozen moon. A band of penguins bangs their way down the middle of Sherbrooke. The leader smacking at the bass drum with the conviction of a parent dressing children for chilly weather. The snare drum pops and fires like a warning signal that an idiotic army of freedom-happy Americans is dangerously on the march. The dancing baby penguins are so cute, Mook considers stealing one for each of his children, but realizes how cruel the act would be, and so puts it out of his mind. He's never felt guilty about premeditating multiple penguin nappings before. He stops in his tracks to shield his lighting a pinner. Look out! says Swami. Caught off guard, a huge amount of snow falls from the awning of Cinema 5, causing a chain reaction of snow from lower awnings to funnel, resulting in an avalanche which engulfs Mook in 10 feet of snow. This is no normal snow. These are coastal snows. Maritime snows, complete with snow monsters and snow peril. A gale, like a galley ship of ice of snow, passes westward down Sherbrooke Street. Eighty sails of snow, each filled with its own spinning vortex. A ship of skeletons made of ice. Snows to make Poseidon shiver. The great ship O'Winter plows down the road, emptying bags of snow, throwing barrels of snow, firing cannonballs of ice. Montreal takes on the air of a glacier under attack as the snow pirates laugh, legs dangling from their respective perches on the foremast, mainmast, and mizzenmast. Mook is gone, buried. Where he stood now stands a snow mountain. Swami begins digging furiously, doing a standing front crawl with doggy paddle digging action until one of his hands finds the crook of Mook's elbow. Mook follows Swami's lead and is soon liberated if completely frosted and coated in snow from head to toe. Pirates laugh in the distance. <laughs> it's been a while since I got a snow job, admits Mook. Holy shit, you got snowed! Swami and Mook feel merry. I'm going home before my body temperature melts this stuff and I'm soaked. Do you remember where you parked? I think it was Hampton. Definitely a one-way south street. I better come with you. It's on my way home anyway. The whine of transmission struggling for a nip of traction takes over like a small section in a dysfunctional symphony. Anyone attempting to drive is in for a treat tonight.
The moon is wearing a fur-lined hood and a jacket with fancy gold zippers and sunglasses. The moon orders an ice cream cone. The moon enjoys the view. This way, motions Mook, turning down, making his way toward a hump of snow, slightly taller than the other humps of snow all in a row. Pressing the unlock button twice, he listens for a sign of function, and indeed, the muffled click is audible. Well, this is me. Okay, later. Climbing onto the footrail of the blues finder, Mook de-snows the driver's side door enough so that he can get inside and start the engine. At least this way it will warm up while he digs out. Methodically sweeping his fully extended arm with grand brush strokes, he first clears the top, then the hood, followed by the windows and windshields. The advantage of a 4x4 vehicle in this kind of weather cannot be underestimated. The Blues Finder snakes its way back over Mount Royal to Park Avenue, heading north to Little Italy, where he finds a spot far too messy for any two-wheel-drive vehicle to negotiate, and winkles his way in with relative ease.